Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. Grab that 90 minutes, sit down, relax, have a cup of coffee or tea or whatever as my broadcast partners come to the table to give us insight into what is happening from a current event perspective all across the world. And then we'll talk about how these events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I'm in temporary studios here in Iowa, Carrollton, Iowa, and uh, we're here at the Grace Baptist Church. Looking forward to being with Pastor Dennis St. Lawrence, all of his fine people. We're going to have about four days of Bible prophecy. This is a great time to have a prophecy conference, and it's a great time of the year out here. The farmers are not quite into the field. They can all come in. And uh, in fact, you, if you're in the listening area, can join us as well. It's the Grace Baptist Church in Carrington, Iowa. We're looking forward to having you come and join us. 9.30 and 10.30 Sunday morning, 5.30, in the evening on Sunday, and then Monday through Wednesday, 6, Prophecy Q&A, 7, The Bible Teaching. Well, let's get now to our broadcast partner standing by, actually seated on the catbird seat in Washington, D.C. I love that phrase. Anyway, he's there. Ken Timmerman is who I am talking about. Just prior to going on the air, I received an email from Ken that he was in the process of writing his memoirs. And uh, when he told me what he had been doing in that little note, that alert of the upcoming book by Ken... Wow, I said, how many volumes is he going to have to have? And he said, well, he's already got the first one finished. They told him that uh, he's going to have to cut about 30,000 words. I mean, I write a book and it's about 30,000 words, Ken. You're an amazing guy. Well, well, life is long, Jimmy. God is great, and there's a lot, a lot that has gone on and a lot of fun stories to share with people that I think would be a great fun. It's going to be a great read. When are you going to have that published, and when will it come to the marketplace? Well, that book is going to come out early in 2019, after the uh, midterm elections. And uh, in, in before that, I have my fiction called ISIS Begins, about uh, northern Iraq and about the jihadi Muslims in northern Iraq and the persecution of Christians. And that book will be out uh, this summer, ISIS Begins. Wow, we're looking forward to that one as well. Well, Ken, the lead story has to be what took place on Thursday afternoon there at the White House uh, when the Korean, South Korean leadership, uh, the security guy, came out and announced that there would be a meeting between the leader of North Korea and President Trump. Now, they're going to have to work out the location, how all the details. In fact, the devil is in the details as it relates to that. But talk about this astounding development with the North Korean situation. Well, it, it is fascinating to see how that happened. Everybody was saying that Donald Trump was leading us directly to war. And in fact, he's leading us directly to a diffusing of the situation, at least on the surface. But i, I got to say, Jimmy, there, there are really two hard nuts he's got to crack with North Korea. The first is their relationship with Iran. Iran is providing North Korea with between $2 billion and $2.5 billion a year. That is nearly 10% of their gross domestic product. It is a tiny economy in North Korea, and the Iranians, uh, by purchasing nuclear weapons technology and ballistic missile technology, are accounting for a huge proportion of the North Korean economy. The second thing, and this is going to be kind of interesting, I think, for our listeners, 
what probably led Kim Jong-un to make this outreach to President Trump is the fact that his private slush fund, it's called Bureau 39, is reportedly going to run out of hard currency by October. So this is his, uh, you know, his desperate Hail Mary pass to try to fill the coffers before the communist royals in North Korea go broke. You know, it's going to be very, very interesting to watch this whole thing develop. Later on in the broadcast, I'm going to have Colonel Bob McGinnis at the Pentagon talk to us about this developing situation as well. So, Ken, I just wanted your first blush as to the excitement that the world seems to have about these two men coming together. Let's now come back into the Middle East, Tayyip Erdogan, who is, the, of course, president of Turkey, calling for the Organization of Islamic Countries to put together an army of Islam and to attack the Jewish state. Man, he, he's getting very active in his disgust with Israel and their presence in the Middle East. Okay, he has been for quite some time. Remember, he was uh, behind the so-called Gaza Flotilla that went and violently encountered the Israeli Defense Forces off the coast of Gaza. Erdogan is trying to pitch himself as the next caliph. He wants to revive the Islamic Caliphate. He is uh, trying to convince other leaders of other Muslim countries that Turkey should be in the forefront. And this particular call issued earlier this week was absolutely astonishing, where uh, Erdogan's allies are calling on the uh, Organization of Islamic Cooperation, which is the organization that regroups the 57 Islamic nations around the world, to form a joint Islamic army to fight Israel. I mean, that is astonishing. Erdogan, Turkey are supposed to be NATO allies. I've said repeatedly on this broadcast that they are no longer behaving as such. But this is a call to war. This is, this is not, you know, criticizing Israel for something that might have happened. This is a call to war, a military jihad, a jihad against Israel. Uh, this is not something that the U.S. or any of our allies should sit back and just listen to or dismiss as some idle blathering. What about here in the United States? I understand Muslims are calling for murder in uh, the activities of uh, the people, non-Muslims, here in America. What do you know about that? Well, this has been going on for some time, but uh, more recently, just over the past couple of months, uh, Jimmy, you have imams at mosques in North Carolina, uh, New Jersey, and Texas calling for their faithful to murder Jews. And they cite the famous hadith that says at the last hour, there's a tree that's speaking to the Muslim. They say, Ya Muslimin, there's a Jew hiding behind me. Go and kill him. Uh, and this is a reference to the, you know, the final days, the end times scenario, if you wish, in Islamic eschatology. And it is very well understood. Uh, everybody knows what it means. Every Muslim anywhere in the world knows that it is a call to murder Jews. The fact that this is happening in the United States and that there's not prosecution by the Department of Justice, I think, is scandalous. Uh, I hope that's going to change as Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, uh, finally gets his people into place. It's taken an awful long time because the Democrats in Congress uh, in the Senate are stonewalling in these nominations, but they really need to prosecute uh, imams like this. This is a call to uh, anti-Semitic violence. Well, not only anti-Semitic, but everybody seems to be a target as it relates to these Islamic murderers and on the increase here, even in America. 
coming out of Iran, we have to always cover what's happening there. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps commander is saying that Iran's missile production during this time of the nuclear deal is increasing threefold. I mean, doesn't look like they're sitting on their laurels. They're getting active, getting ready when they can develop these nuclear weapons of mass destruction. Right. Now, we don't have a, a, a base point to compare this to, but certainly what they are saying, and this is by the general in charge of their missile programs, the IRGC Aerospace Division, saying that they have tripled their production of missiles. Look, you're right, Jimmy. The bottom line is, at the same time that they're getting sanctions relief, that they signed a nuclear deal with the United States under President Obama, the Iranians are ramping up their production of missiles, including nuclear-tipped missiles or missiles that can potentially carry a nuclear warhead to Israel and possibly even to the United States. That is unacceptable, and it's a huge challenge for the Trump administration how to deal with this missile threat. It's not explicitly part of the Iran nuclear deal, although it was mentioned in the U.N. Security Council resolution in vague terms, and that's the problem. The U.N. Security Council resolution that enshrined and enforced the Iran nuclear deal. The Trump administration really does have to confront this head-on. Iran is becoming a world-class threat with its missile programs. And that's one of the reasons that one of my sources for this broadcast would be the Tehran Times. Now, I know that's a propaganda sheet for the Iranian government. But when I turned to it a couple of days ago, I saw this headline, Tehran and Moscow are set to broaden their economic cooperation. Economics is a part of politics. This does not look good for the rest of the world, does it? Well, right. And you see this deepening relationship between Russia and Iran. They have been a long-standing provider, Russia has, of weapon systems to the Iranians. Now they are expanding their economic cooperation. Uh, they're going to have direct rail ties and maritime ties through the Caspian Sea. The Russians now operate a uh, naval base in the Mediterranean in Syria that uh, the Iranians are hoping to get access to. So this, this whole relationship between Iran and Russia is deepening, it's broadening, it is strategic in nature, and the only element that is explicitly lacking right now is a military element, meaning a, def a joint defense treaty. They have one that goes back to 1955. It hasn't been invoked recently except for Russian overflights of Iran last year to Syria. Jimmy, it doesn't matter that they haven't invoked the treaty. They have this strategic relationship, economics, oil, uh, transport, and political, this political uh, relationship as well. They are allies in all uh, senses of the word. Well, there's another example of how current events are setting the stage for biblical prophecy to be fulfilled. We'll cover it at the end of this broadcast. And it's another reason that Ken Timmerman is the top of our partners list, broadcast partners who have insight that we need to have as we interact with them about these current events. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend. Looking forward for that book this coming summer. Want to read it and then your memoir as well. But thank you for helping us understand the world today. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's a Middle East news update. David Dolan, he's ready to interact with us, giving us insight as well. All ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. So glad you could join us for this 90 minutes. We're here in Carrollton, Iowa. That's where my temporary studios are set up. We're going to be at the Grace Baptist Church all day Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evenings. Uh, the pastor here, Dennis St. Lawrence, has invited everybody in the region. He invites you, if you're within listening distance, to come and join us for these conferences. All day Sunday, starting at 9.30, 10.30, 5.30, and 6.30. And then Monday through Wednesday, 6 o'clock and 7 o'clock, for the Q&A in the beginning session and the study of God's prophetic word at the second session. Love to have you come and join as we study Bible prophecy. Well, we're going to continue with our broadcast partners now, as I've already mentioned. David Dolan with the Middle East News Update, longtime journalist in the Middle East, and he has his hand on what's happening there. That's why we bring him to this broadcast table. Uh, David, uh, the Prime Minister met with the President there at the White House, Prime Minister Netanyahu. They met together. They talked about a number of things, the Iranian nukes, the Middle East peace, uh, the U.S. troops in Syria, what's happening, and even Prime Minister Netanyahu invited Donald Trump to come and join him for the inauguration of the U.S. Embassy on May the 14th there in Jerusalem. Very important meeting for the Prime Minister, was it not? Yes, and uh, he's uh, now become officially the most visited to Washington foreign leader. 
He's met with President Trump five times in just the first year and couple months of the new administration, so that's quite remarkable. Shows again how close the friendship is between the two men and, of course, the alliance between the two countries. Jimmy, this was especially important because of the developments in Syria and in the north that we've been discussing the past few weeks. Still high military tension there. This week, the report that the Russians are massing forces east of the Euphrates River uh, in territory that the U.S. has basically controlled exclusively for the past couple years and where most of the anti-Assad forces supported by America and others are located. This was a grave situation. Of course, we had the Iranian drone uh, into the Golan. We had an Israeli aircraft shot down. We had Israel going in and destroying almost half of Syria's anti-missile ballistic systems right after that. So a lot going on, and very important that these two leaders would meet to discuss these uh, pressing issues. But the uh, the war between them is obvious. They seem to really listen to each other. And President Trump did indicate that he would try, make every effort to be at the uh, new U.S. embassy opening on May 14th of this year. Of course, that also being Israel's 70th anniversary on the Gregorian calendar, as you pointed out last week, the Hebrew calendar celebrations a little bit earlier, actually, in late April. But uh, a special time indeed, and uh, a special relationship, and one that's critical to uh, Israel's uh, stability in the region, particularly as the Iranians continue to expand their power and influence all over the area. Prime Minister Netanyahu was here in the United States not only to meet with uh, President Trump, but indeed to speak to APAC, which is a lobbying organization for the nation of Israel itself. And the Prime Minister, when addressing the membership of APAC, made the statement that he was capable with the Israeli Defense Force of stopping Iran, but there was also a report of top-secret military systems have been leaked. This does not sound good for Israel. They have an unbelievable military operation and an air force, uh, but with this leak, that's not good, is it? Well, it never is, Jimmy, and uh, although I think, as I've stated a number of times, we're going to be surprised the next major war that takes place in the Middle East, just exactly what Israel has up its sleeve over the past few decades. It's been quite a while since we had a full-on clash between two full air forces. Uh, really, it was in 1982 that the last major air force clash took place when Syrian jets, mostly Russian-built and Israeli jets, mostly American-built, with a few French aircraft on both sides, took on uh, each other in the airs over Lebanon, and uh, Syria lost over 80 planes that day, Israel just three. Jimmy, it's not good, but it just shows that the Israelis are working, they have capabilities, they know what their enemies are, they know what their enemies are planning, in particular with Iran, because the Iranians are quite open about it, stating that, you know, Israel's destruction is their goal. They'll continue to work for that. They won't let anybody stop them. But, Jimmy, the talk now in the last 24 hours, of course, is the president's agreement to meet with the North Korean dictator, Kim Jong-il. And this, this is just an amazing development that many are saying will isolate Iran now completely because it's now the only country that the United States will be poking at, uh, presuming, of course, that the talks with North Korea take place and that they produce any sort of results. And that's a great presumption, of course, that we don't know. But they're saying that politically it now isolates Iran as the only standout nuclear power that isn't uh, willing to 
you know, give up its full nuclear program of those countries that are being sanctioned and asked to do that, which, of course, includes uh, North Korea. So we'll have to see how this uh, plays upon the situation. But uh, a serious situation and certainly one that the president and the prime minister focused on. And, of course, President uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu in his speech focused on Iran as well and again stated that the Israelis will simply not allow Iran to set up a base north of their country in Syria and that these uh, existing already bases will have to go and Iran will have to pull its Revolutionary Guards out of there as part of any peace deal and not have any influence there. That's Israel's bottom line. Apparently, President Trump supports that. That will be any opening position if we do have reopened negotiations with Iran at some point. Meanwhile, while that conversation is going on between Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Trump, President Tayyip Erdogan in Turkey calling for the Army of Islam that would come out of the Organization of Islamic States across the world. I think there's 57 of them. A Army of Islam to form and attack Israel. Boy, that's not good information for the near future. Now, Jimmy, while we're talking about what's going on inside of Syria proper and on the southern border and what Iran's doing, we have this other action in the north of Syria, a NATO ally, Turkey, invading the northwest corner of Syria. Of course, their excuse is to put the Kurds down that they believe are out to overthrow part of the Turkish land and take it over and put up Kurdistan in that area. So uh, a very bad battle, and Erdogan has been a real uh, piece of work to Jimmy. He's uh, proving to be more and more every year an enemy of the West, an enemy of Israel, even though officially still a member of NATO. It's just a question in many people's minds uh, when he will kick uh, the U.S. out of the two major air bases that we operate out of in southern Turkey. Uh, when this alliance will be completely broken. In the meantime, as you say, he's positioning himself to be the new caliph. This idea of establishing an Islamic caliph throughout the Middle East is not a new one. Of course, it's an ancient one. It's existed for most of the past 2,000 years. We had a foretaste of it in the past couple of years in Syria and Iraq with um, Islamic State, the Islamic Al-Qaeda Mork movement uh, showing up. And uh, that's been uh, basically defeated, at least in that area. And now Turkey's trying to step into that role. And this is something, of course, that frightens the Israelis quite a bit, because Turkey's a major military power uh, with a major air force, quite a powerful sea force, a huge country, 95 million people, far larger than Israel uh, population, far larger like Iran is than Israel in land mass and in resources and these sorts of things. So a great concern uh, where Turkey goes. But of course, you know from the book, prophetically, this is going to happen. And uh, we're seeing it all happen in our time. And David, that's the reason we always come to you for this great insight that you give us from your vast years of experience. Talk to me about what's going on inside of Israel. The Palestinian leaders are much concerned about Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority. While he was in the United States, he had to have a special hospital visit. They're concerned about his health and the leadership of the Palestinian Authority. What do you know? Well, Jimmy, you know, he's been in power since 2006 when he was elected for just a few years, a four-year term. It's now 2018, and he's still in power, and there's been no further election since then, even though he promises it all the time. He's an old man. He's in his 80s. He's uh, been working really hard. 
He doesn't have much clout anymore. Uh, what really worries the Palestinians, though, is when he goes, will there be a literal bloodbath within the Palestinian leadership as to see who takes over? And will Hamas then make a renewed bid to take over the Palestinian Authority? And those, of course, are questions that very, very much concern the Israelis as well. That's the reason this man is behind these microphones on a weekly basis, because he keeps us on top of every event that's unfolding in the Middle East. And, of course, he has a great background, over 30 years as a journalist in the Middle East. David, you're so valuable to us. Thank you so much. Keep being available for us. We need your reports on a weekly basis. So thank you, and we'll talk again next week. Well, thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. Colonel Bob McGinnis standing by. We're going to talk about the decision that uh, Donald Trump and the leader of North Korea are going to get together for a talk. Will that happen? When will it happen? Those are some of the questions I'll ask Bob. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. So glad you could join us at least for the first half hour. We move into the second half hour. We had a third half hour upcoming. And, of course, that gives us the 90 minutes that we ask each week of you so that we can give you current events in light of biblical prophecy. We're going right to Bob McGinnis in just a moment, but let me just tell you, I'm in temporary studios right here in Cheriton, Iowa, just a bit south from Des Moines, Iowa. Love to have you come and participate in a four-day prophecy conference all day Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We're here at the Grace Baptist Church, Pastor Dennis St. Lawrence. He would invite each and every one of you to come on Sunday morning to services, 9.30 and 10.30, then Sunday evening, 5.30, four services on Sunday, Two on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 6 o'clock Prophecy Q&A, and then my teaching service at 7 p.m. So come along, study the prophetic word of God with us here at the Grace Baptist Church, Cherenton, Iowa. All right, let's get to Colonel Bob McGinnis. He's stationed at the White House for his day job, does a lot of other extra things, appearing on national radio and television often, 
giving the analysis of what's happening, and that's exactly why we get a hold of Bob McGinnis. Bob, an unbelievable announcement at the White House, kind of subdued to a certain extent there on Thursday evening, almost in the dark in the driveway, when some of the leaders from South Korea announced uh, that the president of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, has said that he is going to be willing to talk with President Donald Trump. Now, I have a lot of questions about it. What were your first thoughts when you heard this? Well, Jimmy, it's certainly an unprecedented during the seven decades after the end of the Korean War. And, of course, it's really an armistice that's in place. It's, the war continues. Uh, I was shocked, but not surprised. The North Koreans have a habit of pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Uh, and, of course, uh, President Trump is not a conventional politician or diplomat, so he's going to do something a bit unconventional. And accepting the invitation uh, is something that uh, I would have expected from him. So uh, the question I think that we all have is what will come of this? Uh, I suspect, uh, being somewhat skeptical, that uh, this will be another effort to delay our sanctions, to delay our pressure on that regime, and, of course, behind the scenes. And this is probably the most important aspect, is you have China, you have Russia, and you have Iran. They all have a role to play here, and that's very important for people to understand. Well, I want to go into those thoughts as well, but uh, some have said that really North Korea is about to go bankrupt, that people are starving to death, and that's somewhat what motivated this. At least he can come to the table, maybe have some of the sanctions lifted so he can feed his people. Any truth to that at all? Well, I'm sure there's an element of truth there. You know, he, his father and grandfather have been starving the people of North Korea since the late 40s, and so that's no surprise. Our sanctions have had an impact. The Chinese have uh, been grudging uh, partners in putting some pressure on, but once again, I think behind the scenes uh, there's a lot more happening than meets the eye. Is this a great deal or a propaganda ploy? Now, it sounds like in our introductory comments, you think it's more of a propaganda ploy. Well, it's a mixture. You know, if you go back to when Bill Clinton was president, he had something similar. In other words, he had a breakthrough. You know, we were going to give them all sorts of goodies in exchange for them to you know, shut down their nuclear reactor and, and not be the... Asian brat. But the reality is that, um, you know, he quickly reversed course. I see no reason to believe that this Kim Jong-un is going to reverse course, you know, long term. Words are, are different than actions. I want to see some action after the fact, and then I think we'll reassess whether or not this was a good deal for us as well. And always in any deal making, the devil is in the details, is he not? Well, it is. Well, let's uh, talk about maybe some of those details, Bob. How soon could this happen, and how soon should it happen? Well, it will happen, according to the announcement, uh, sometime in May, uh, location to be determined. Uh, Will it be a summit or just a plain talk? That's to be determined. Uh, Apparently, we will not change any of the sanctions that are in place until that time, Uh, but the North Koreans have promised not to do nuclear tests or more ballistic missile tests uh, before. And so that's sort of the, uh, the play of things at this point. Complex as it is, 
Uh, we'll have to wait and see if uh, they follow through. You said that they're not going to change any of the sanctions. I would seem to think that means they're not going to let up any of the pressure right now. And in fact, as I understand it, even those military drills at the, that opportunity for South Korea and America to come together, they're going to continue on in light of this announcement as well. Uh, that's true, Jimmy. We have to continue our training, our, our interoperability efforts. We have to you know, continue to have a presence so that the pressure stays on the North Koreans. Uh, I think that would be a disservice otherwise to the South Koreans, certainly to the Japanese. Well, and when we talk about a team coming together to put this all together, where they're going to meet, who's going to be on that team, etc., will the United States ask South Korea to come alongside them in these talks, or do you think South Korea will have any involvement, or who will the team be made up of? Well, there's no doubt that the South Koreans will be involved. After all, it was the South Korean National Security Director who made the announcement at the White House the other day. So, yeah, yes, the South Koreans will, will be involved. Now, uh, whether or not they'll be at the table directly, uh, I suspect they'll have one seat, uh, but there won't be that many beside the president and maybe the, the Secretary of State, if, if in fact he is. Uh, probably the Assistant Secretary of State for uh, you know, Far East uh, relations will, will, be, will be present. And, of course, uh, there will be a, a number of uh, intel- intelligence people there, and then uh, no doubt uh, the Eighth Army will be represented because that's our major command in South Korea today. Well, I know that uh, in your conversation, you've watched this story unfold before a number of times because of your military experience. Uh, Just let me ask you, and you're pretty skeptical as to what may well happen. Do you think it has any chance for success? Well, I think we'll get something out of it that uh, certainly will declare it was successful. Uh, Whether or not long-term denuclearization you know, in a verifiable way, does happen. Uh, that's the skepticism. You know, we've seen the problem with Iran. We've seen the problems with Libya. We've seen the problems with the Syrians. Uh, so, you know, <clears throat> you know, like Ronald Reagan said, uh, you know, we need to verify. We'll, we'll trust them, but we need to verify uh, what they say. And that's been a problem for North Korea. They just have not been very forthcoming. Let me focus on one other subject with you just for a moment. I know you have written a book on future wars and the military armament that may well need to be used. The president also this week made a decision about steel and aluminum. Do you think that uh, we could be in a national security problem if our steel companies go belly up here in the near future? And is the president making a pretty important decision there from a security perspective? No, I support the president's decision. He said this is not merely an economic disaster, but it's a security disaster, and he's exactly right. You know, where we're relying upon the Chinese and others to import steel, which is the fabric of uh, certainly an armed forces. And not only that, but the Chinese control things called the rare earth minerals, which are used for high-tech weaponry as well as communication devices. Uh, we need to focus on what keeps America safe and what keeps America prosperous. And this president seems to understand that, whereas the one before didn't. Uh, so I think this is a, a great decision for America, a great decision for our security. 
Colonel Bob McGinnis, he is the man who works at the Pentagon and helps us to understand some of the decisions made there, but also at the White House and at the State Department, and how they all fit into an end-time scenario that may well fit into that scenario to be fulfilled in the very near future. Bob, thank you so very much, my good friend. Thank you for being available for us. We'll talk again soon. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Very important conversation with Colonel Bob McGinnis from the Pentagon talking about the situation with North Korea and the invitation for the two leaders of these two countries, United States and North Korea, to come together. We'll stay on top of that story. It's not all put together as of yet, but uh, we'll keep watching and keep you abreast of what is going on want to have you go to my website, prophecytoday.com. And while you're at the website, how about checking out our tours to Israel? We have, I think, eight this year. Love to have you come along. And our School of Prophets, which comes up on May 29, 30, and 31 in Chattanooga. I'll teach prophecy through the Bible, part one, a number of books where we can show you All of the books have Bible prophecy, and David James will be teaching Understanding Islam. All this information at my website, prophecytoday.com. Well, there's another important region of the world, not only the Far East and what's happening out there, but the area of the European Union and the man who gives us insight into what is happening there. John Rood, number of years living in Brussels, Belgium, and very knowledgeable of what's happening. John, thank you for joining us today, and let me get right underway with the questions. I'd like to ask you about the massive U.S.-led artillery drills that are going on in Europe. This is a joint drill that's going on with the United States-European Union. What do you know about it? Well, there's been tensions uh, with NATO and the European Union itself through the years. Of course, the European Union being so fragmented, one of their purposes is to have their own uh, European army. Of course, they use a process which is always step-by-step. They never really come out and say it, but they sort of test the waters and then see what's acceptable and then begin a process. So the process was began some time ago to form a European military committee, and lo and behold, they chose as the top general for that position a non-NATO general. So uh, one time I spoke with a, a two-star general, and he told me it was very strange. He says, you know, for example, you know, we're in Brussels on Tuesday for the NATO committee, and then we're there on Thursday for the European Union committee. It has nothing to do with each other. So because of this fragmentation, uh, Russia has taken advantage of all these cracks and fissures, the instability of the European Union, and so they actually have been uh, very uh, expansionist these last years, we know, with Ukraine and some of the tensions that they formed in the Baltic countries. So therefore, there needs to be a response that's matching some of the uh, Russian aggression and so it's, it's been built up larger than before. I believe the press, uh, presence of NATO forces in the border areas are about three times what they used to be maybe five to ten years ago. So there's great tensions that's there, but the European Union is not able to do it by themselves because it's very difficult for them to agree. Therefore, NATO and the bulk of NATO, of course, is the United States' presence. 
Well, let me ask you this question. Is that going to dissuade the European Union leaders and the defense ministers of each of the member states from pushing ahead to get their own military? Or are they just going to fall in line with whatever NATO wants? Well, again, the tension is they want to do as much as they can for the objectives of military integration and this all points towards a, a eventual political union. That's the ultimate goal. So when the European Union military structure was first formed, they uh, introduced it as a rapid reaction force and say, we are not an army, there's big denial, we're not an army, we're a rapid reaction force. Well, I got out my NATO handbook and looked it up, and there were like three things of the definition of an army, and rapid reaction force was number one. So it's always a step-by-step process. They won't back away from that, but they're willing to take time for their objectives. And, of course, the United States is doing the the vast majority of the budgeting uh, for the protection of Europe right now. Um, News-wise, it's probably not recognized, but I believe between governments they realize the great part that the United States is doing here. Talk to me about Sweden. I understand that the leaders of Sweden are refusing to investigate hundreds of acts of Muslim violence against Christian refugees in the country. Is that pretty much on target? Now, that's a that's an interesting point. Of course, the Muslim presence in Europe has been growing uh, exponentially. In fact, there's books, Eurabia, uh, and showing the uh, demographics that the majority of countries, Italy, so forth, uh, would be a, a majority non-Italian in a matter of just a few decades. So there's a real tension. This is what has been the biggest issue for the German elections, for example. And in Sweden, the fact that there's been attacks against Christian refugees, uh, particularly leaving Syria and Iraq, that are not being followed up or investigated, the government sort of sees them as particular factions. They feel what we experienced with Christian persecution in in Belgium, the idea was, well, if we have to deal with persecution against the churches, then by that we are giving a legal precedent that we have to protect the Muslim interests, and they weren't interested to do that. So it could be sort of of a standoffist uh, approach to not be involved with sectarian issues in their eyes. It's very unfortunate because the people that are uh, in this regard have actually left the Middle East because of persecution, and now they're receiving uh, the same thing in Sweden. Uh, Norway, Sweden, as well, have great uh, populations of Muslim refugees, and it's just going to be a tension that's going to keep growing. Well, that's what I was going to ask next. Is that going to continue to spread not only into Sweden and Norway, as you mentioned, uh, but all across the European Union, all the member states, this increasing Muslim presence and population seems to be somewhat of a major problem, and it could well be in the future, could it not? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, In Brussels, of course, there is a neighborhood which is very close to the center of the city, It's almost a no-go zone for the police. They've identified a number of terrorists, have uh, lived in this area, and it's just just continuing. Uh, The number one name for a baby boy born in Brussels 
probably for the last 10 years, is Mohammed. So uh, there is really a trend that's in place, and it's not reciprocal in any way. Um, you'll see mosques in various cities, capital cities of Europe, and yet even the most temperate Muslim countries would not even permit the Christians to go and build a church. Uh, Morocco actually shut down all of the missionary presence, and they were probably the most lenient. This is a story that must be covered because it is a part of an end-time scenario. And when I talk with John, we always talk the political aspects of what's going on in the European Union, which, of course, is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. John, thank you so very much. Great insight. Appreciate your capability to Give us all your years of experience in understanding how this is all coming together for the end times. Thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, sir. Very, very important conversation with John Rood as we look at the European Union and what's happening in that part of the world. We need to keep you abreast of that. It's preparation for the revival of the Roman Empire. One of my greatest guests, in my opinion, I enjoy always talking to him, is my namesake, Dr. Don DeYoung. I don't know that we're related. Maybe somewhere down the line, I would hope and pray we are. He's a brilliant guy. He is head of the science department at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. And we catch him. He has a cabin up in northern Indiana where he can go and write and pray and think and study the Word of God and walk in the woods, fish a little bit on the pond in front of him. Man, I am so grateful to you, Don, for letting us break into your solitude and have a, a few moments of conversation with you. Thank you, Jim. Glad to join you. Listen, I sent you a couple of articles that I found very interesting, and I always love to read about what the scientists think about creation and all that they try to put together to explain it to everybody else. It seems to me they're having to take it by faith. But I noticed an article by an Israeli scientist who was collaborating with the American scientists, and they had detected signs of the earliest star out there somewhere, I think the article, if you'll remind me, I believe they said this would be something that came into existence about 180,000 years after the Big Bang. Well, they need a lot of time to get this. And I understand it was a radio signal that was picked up by an antenna. And they said the interesting thought was that it was about the volume of sound of a hummingbird that you would have to listen to during the time of a hurricane. Boy, everything they get seems to be by faith, not really by scientific fact. Well, yes, Jimmy, what they've picked up are signals from far distant stars. Now, they are a long ways away. I would take issue with their age. I think they're created in abundance. But, uh, yes, they picked up radio signals. Uh, that name just goes because of the wavelength and the energy of uh, what they're listening to. And uh, they're quite surprised at what they find. It turns out that these signals, there's a temperature connected with them, and the temperature is lower than expected. So then they go on and think maybe there's this uh, material called dark matter, which was absorbing some of the energy long ago, and on and on with their theories. Well, what is that dark matter? I mean, they have a theory about that as well. What is that all about? Well, 
they've come up with the idea of dark matter because they cannot explain the details of stars, their motions, or even the shape of the of the Milky Way. There may not even be such a thing, but it's it's just used as a filler for things that they can't understand. I think what's happening, Jimmy, is that at creation, God put in place stars, radiation, energy, all, you know, both near and far. And so the whole system is consistent and it operates. And what some of these science folks are doing is taking this data and they are overlapping it with their own natural origin theories. And then that's where they get into trouble because they can't explain because creation was supernatural. It was beyond what science can explain. I'm sure you probably recognize the same as I when we read these articles that scientists seem to be saying, well, it seems like it maybe could be, this is a possibility, etc. Again, let me just emphasize what I have already mentioned. These scientists are taking this by faith as we take by faith God's account of creation. Is that not correct? Well, exactly. Either faith in, in a Big Bang and a spontaneous origin which really leads to uh, nowhere, or faith in the God of creation who even told us how it happened in, in the Scripture. You know, when I also read another article about Jupiter, which is, I believe, the largest planet we have in our solar system, there's a probe going on right now, the Juno mission, and they have this aircraft, a uh, spacecraft, I better say it that way, who is actually going to be driven right into the planet itself at the end of its mission. All kinds of new discoveries. Amazing. Was it not what they're discovering about this largest planet in our solar system? Uh, Yes, Jupiter is the largest planet of all. And uh, after seven years, this Juno probe has reached it just um, uh, in recent months. The pictures that they are returning to the Earth, you know, by way of waves, are amazing, showing the weather activity going on on Jupiter. Swirls of gas, actually hurricanes the size of our whole country, and winds 400 miles per hour, greater than anything on Earth. And this churning motion of of Jupiter's atmosphere seems to be thousands of miles deep into its structure, So there's lots of energy, lots of uh, just dynamic motion going on. And some of these pictures are even showing uh, these these swirls, just probably due to the physics behind them, are gathering into shapes. At uh, one pole, uh, there are like six hurricanes in kind of a hexagon. At the South Pole, it's a different uh, kind of category. So it's all very complex, of course, following the laws that God has established, even if we don't understand them very well. You know, I knew that uh, from uh, high school and college, I knew that Jupiter was the largest planet. I did not realize that it's about 1,300 times larger than Earth. In other words, you could take Earth, the planet of Earth we live on, and put it, 1,300 of them, in Jupiter. Uh, But uh, here's my question. Where did the planets come from? I know on the fourth day, God created the lesser light and the stronger light, the sun and the moon. Talk to me about planets and help us to understand when they came into God's plan of creation. Well, I would suggest, Jimmy, that all the planets also appeared supernaturally on day number four. Of course, uh, Genesis 1.16 mentions the sun, moon, and stars. And really, the word star is a light in the sky, so certainly the stars were made. But I would also include there the planets, the comets, the asteroids, all the other 
physical objects that were put in space. To me, day four is when the heavens are filled. And that is a time that God tells us, and not too many words to help us relate. Not hundreds and millions and billions of years did it take the Lord to do this. This was a supernatural event that happened, right, Don? Well, yes, and it's uh, it's really a wonderful understatement where Scripture says, and God made the stars also. After all, that's, you know, 99% of creation and uh, the work of God's fingers casting them into the sky. Might mention, Jimmy, that mysteries continue on Jupiter. It seems to have a strong magnetic field. We don't understand it. It has colors on the surface, orange and reddish gases, and we don't know what those are either. Every planet seems to be unique and different, just part of uh, God's artwork. But, of course, planet Earth is special, made it possible for us to uh, live here for our well-being. You see why I enjoy talking with Don DeYoung. Man, he is so knowledgeable. He's an astronomer as well, and he's written several books on it. You want to check him out, Amazon.com. But Don is available for us so we can help you understand his creative activities. Because, listen, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and end. He was the creator, and he has all of prophecy set in place. And we look at his creation, understanding he supernaturally brought it all together. And he's going to do the exact same thing in the end of times as well. Don, have a great time in your cabin there. And thank you for being available for us. Appreciate it so much. We'll talk again down the line. Thank you, Jimmy. Till next time. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, David James is standing by. Do you know it was preachers who started institutions, educational institutions like Harvard and Princeton and Yale? Well, what has happened? Have they abandoned God? And is that happening even in evangelical circles as well? You don't want to miss that conversation with David James. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here. Welcome back to the last half hour of our 90-minute program that you give us opportunity to alert you to current events around the world that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Thanks for coming along. As you know, we're in temporary studios here in Cheriton, Iowa. We're going to be here for all day Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, a prophecy conference at the Grace Baptist Church. Come and join us as we study the prophetic word of God. Want to have you go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the home page. There I have a poll question. Would love for you to answer it. Here's the poll question on the left-hand column. If you will scroll down, you'll find it. Since North Korea is included in the prophetic phrase, the kings of the east, found in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, Could the announced talks between President Trump and North Korean President Kim Jong-un be helping to set the stage for that prophecy to be fulfilled? Answer the poll question. We'd appreciate it very much. And while you're at the website, how about checking out our tours to Israel? We have, I think, eight this year. Love to have you come along. And our School of Prophets, which comes up on May 29, 30, and 31 in Chattanooga. I'll teach prophecy through the Bible, part one, a number of books where we can show you 
all of the books have Bible prophecy, and David James will be teaching Understanding Islam. All this information at my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. We're going to focus on an issue that the church needs to have a biblical understanding of. We Christians, in order to have the proper daily walk, must allow the Word of God to dictate how we do take that walk. And that's why David and I come together on a weekly basis for these conversations. Hope you can continue to eavesdrop on them topic this week, Christian Post article, that's a magazine, says that Harvard has abandoned God and the danger of decline in Christian institutions over time is an absolute in our world today. So we're going to talk with David about that in a moment. But David, uh, we catch you just about go out the door on your way up to Word of Life Canada for another week of teaching. That's going to be exciting. You're probably going to be cold up there. Make sure you take some warm clothing. Yeah, I'm sure it's uh, going to be cold. I'm in central Indiana, and it's cold enough here. And for the third time, I'll be teaching God's plan through the ages. Of course, I love to teach, and it's a great opportunity to have this kind of an impact in young people's lives as they prepare for their future lives in ministry. And I'm pretty sure that you must have this course down pretty well. Well, this week, a Christian Post a magazine published an article noting that Harvard, the major school in all of the United States, Harvard has completely abandoned its historic roots in Christianity. Talk to me about that. Well, that's right. The full title of the article is Harvard has abandoned God and its Christian principles. And down about the third paragraph into the article, let me just uh, quote this for you uh, to give our listeners a, a sense of what we're talking about. The article says, this mask, in other words, the mask of Christianity, or that they had any connection to Christianity, this mask fell off in dramatic fashion last month when Harvard's Office of Student Life placed the university's largest Christian student group, Harvard College Faith and Action, that's uh, HCFA, on a one-year administrative probation for asking one of its leaders to step down for having a lesbian relationship. And then it goes on to say, a few days later, the college demanded that this organization disaffiliate with its parent organization, the Christian Union, whose statement of ethics includes the reaffirmation that sex belongs only in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And so we're looking at roughly 300 years or so, 250 to 300 years after the founding of Harvard, and certainly the original founders could never have imagined that the school that they established would have departed to this degree from the Christian faith. Harvard's history is basically the same as many other Ivy League schools, all of which have moved away from their original purposes and the vision of their founders, has it not? Well, that's true. And, you know, my guess is that the current generation, even the last couple of generations, but certainly the millennials and, and those in the previous generation, really would have no idea. They, if they don't know the history of these Ivy League schools like uh, Harvard and Yale and Princeton and some others, uh, that their original purpose was actually to prepare and train uh, ministers in the new world, in this uh, new country 
country that was founded here on this continent. They were established, breaking away from the Church of England, and uh, a lot of people escaped and left both Great Britain and as well as the European continent to come to this world to be able to experience and practice religious freedom, but it wasn't intended to be a departure from the Word of God. Rather, quite on the contrary, uh, the opportunity to teach and train young men to be ministers and missionaries to establish the Word of God in this uh, new nation. But all of these schools are now among the most liberal art schools in the nation. David, I'm sure you would agree. One of the things we know for sure is that history is not in favor of schools, Christian organizations, and even churches that stay true to their original mission, are they? Well, that's true. You know, as we move deeper into what we have said before, as we move deeper into the last days and even the last hours of the last days, we look back in history and we see that there are many things that we should take note of. You know, one of the things that sometimes people say is the only thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. And what we frequently see is that the organizations, even Bible institutes, Bible colleges, Christian colleges, Christian universities, seminaries even move further away from their the vision of their founders and even changing doctrinal statements, hiring faculty and staff to to teach students who don't really adhere to biblical principles. It, it, it's actually, you know, it's more of an evolution. It's an eroding away. It doesn't happen just in a moment of time. It's generally a process uh, that happens over a period of years and even decades. But this happens, as you said, with with colleges. It happens with uh, mission organizations. You know, the Christian mission movement in the United States is it has reached around the world. It's going through evolutionary changes. People are not holding to their original commitments to evangelizing the world, believing that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to a relationship with the Father except through Him. And then churches, we're seeing this crisis. As I travel around the world, I'm in eight to ten countries every year, and the crisis uh, I'm running into, the story is the same everywhere I go, that there are there are movements and developments that are actually shaking the foundations uh, of uh, the church, the conservative evangelical church around the world. You know, this whole problem is one of the things that led David and I to start the School of Prophets almost ten years ago, and that also led you and I, David, to work together to start the Alliance for Biblical Integrity shortly after that. Now, I can remember when we were getting ready and thinking about praying about starting the School of Prophets, Judy and I had been praying for a long time. I was up in Chicago speaking at a church. The pastor was a Dallas grad. And after the service, we had lunch on Sunday, and he said, you know, this is great for our church, but brother, you need to be getting other churches involved, and you need to also be training up men. Well, Judy and I looked over, and we almost started crying as we looked at each other. That's what we had been praying about. He was encouraging us. And then, David, you and I got together on a trip over in the European continent and traveling late at night. We started talking about some of these situations that are arising in the world that we always bring to the attention of our dear friends here on the broadcast. That's how we brought together the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. And soon after I started, the School of Prophets brought you on because you and I have had much experience together, 20 years when you were running 
the Bible Institute there in Hungary, and I would come as a guest teacher. Always had a great time of discussing these problems that lie ahead. We invited you to come be one of our professors. Now, we're so excited about this. On occasion, twice a year, we come together in Chattanooga for our School of Prophets conference. We're coming up with one May the 29th through the 31st this year in Chattanooga. And David's going to be teaching understanding Islam. I'm going to be a student in that class, I want to guarantee you, because this is key. The body of Christ needs to understand this satanic religiosity, Islam. And then I'm going to be teaching prophecy through the Bible. I'm concerned that people don't recognize that every book of the Bible has prophetic passages in it. Some of them are absolutely dedicated to giving us prophetic information. But every book of the Bible has it, so we're going to start. This will be part one. We're going to go through all 66 books of the Bible over three different courses. This would be part one, and we want you to come and study with us and understand how prophecy is a major component of the entire Word of God. That's May 29 to 31. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. The banner over the website will give you the information that you may need, where we're going to hold the conference, what the costs are, etc., etc. Now, David, as you mentioned earlier in our conversation, the beginning of the end of many Christian institution tends to happen at the first change of the top leadership whether we're talking about schools, mission organizations, or churches. Why do you think this happens so often? Well, I've given this a lot of thought. You know, I've been in ministry for around 30 years now, and and to be honest, I'm very thankful for our relationship in ministry. You said over 20 years, I think we're pushing close to 25 years now, and it's been very good for me, and I'm very thankful for that. But as I've thought about this, what I've seen is that Perhaps the the greatest problem is that ministry organizations, colleges, and churches are really not thinking far enough ahead in the sense that they are not preparing the next generation from inside their churches. There's not really a mentorship and discipleship program for developing the next generation of leaders from within. And what happens is they frequently, you know, churches develop search committees and they look outside the organization, uh, they look outside the church, they look outside the university to bring someone in from the outside, and they don't have a, a, a prior commitment and a development to the history and the legacy, the evangelical legacy of various schools, theological commitments, relationship to staff and students, and what happens is then people from the outside frequently have new ideas, which are not necessarily wrong. We need fresh ideas, but this marks a change in the mission of the school or the church, and it frequently causes splits, it causes a decline, and it causes a departure from the historical legacy of schools. David, as we conclude our conversation, let me ask you this. Do you have any recommendations about some practical steps that can be taken to stay true to our conservative, biblical, evangelical heritage? Well, I can give just a a basic recommendation based upon my experience with Word of Life. I know that Word of Life uh, Fellowship, which I was with for 21 years, they actually have people in mind who are 
10 years younger than the current, whoever is the current executive director. And this is also true of uh, country directors around the world and Bible Institute directors. They look 10 years back, they look 20 years back, they look 30 years back, and they're looking at uh, young uh, leaders, potential leaders, and they're narrowing their focus and they're pouring their lives into the development of the next generation. And I think this is what we should do in our churches and in our colleges, make sure that the people that we're bringing into the next generation of leadership, that there is a smooth transition, that we know these people, that we understand their theological commitments, their passions, their gifts, and their abilities, and we need to be very careful that we just don't start uh, at the last minute looking for someone to replace the current leader, whether it be a pastor or whether it be a college president. Folks, we believe that the rapture of the church could take place today. How be it? If it does not happen and the Lord should tarry because he's not willing that any should perish but all to come to know him as Lord and Savior, we need to have the proper leadership in any organization, school, church, mission, operation, whatever, for the future. Great advice, great, great, great recommendations from David James. Hey, David, thank you for this conversation. Great idea that you brought to my attention. We're going to have another one next week. See you then. I look forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks so much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll take a look at the book, Brought It All Together, Every Current Event in Light of Biblical Prophecy. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time here on Prophecy Today Weekend for us to take a look at the book. We had our broadcast partners selected to give you the details behind all the headlines we discussed on the broadcast today. 
They came to this broadcast table with information that is so key as we try to understand the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. You know, every day, a world leader here or there or someplace in this world will make a decision, and thus current events will unfold. That's how we keep abreast of what God's time frame is as we look at his prophetic truth and the word of God helping us to recognize how he is setting the stage for all of these things to come to pass. Each of my broadcast partners had great reports, information that would help you better understand the prophetic scenario that's found in God's word and how the end times will unfold. If you did miss any of the conversations, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, PTRN, and you can listen to all the conversations, maybe because you missed one, maybe because you need more information. Again, that location, prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Well, today we spoke with our broadcast partners, and I want to rehearse what they had to say and then give you a couple of scripture verses that will give you the prophetic perspective on the news this week. Ken Timmerman on the Catbird Seat in Washington, D.C., we talked about Tayyip Erdogan, who is the president of Turkey. He's calling for an army of Islam. He addressed the Organization of Islamic Nations, and he said, we need an army of Islam, an Islamic army, to attack the Jewish state of Israel. Now, he was very bold about it. He came out and said, we will attack Israel. This scenario is found in Ezekiel chapter 38, along with Psalm 83 and Daniel chapter 11. It's referred to as the alignment of nations that in the first six months of the tribulation period will try to destroy the Jewish state. Ezekiel chapter 38 mentions Russia, that's referred to as Magog in the passage, and verses 2 and 6 talk about Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma, that would be Turkey. Verse 5 talks about Iran when it mentions Persia, which helps you to understand all the players that are preparing to align themselves and come against the Jewish state of Israel. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update. We talked about the President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu meeting at the White House. This was, by the way, the fifth meeting between these two world leaders in the White House, giving significance to the reality that the most powerful man in the world, President Trump, wants to get counsel on the Middle East, his advice, the advice coming from the Prime Minister of Israel as to how the United States will deal with this Middle Eastern situation. The Prime Minister invited Donald Trump to be at the inauguration of the American Embassy in Jerusalem on May the 14th. That's the birthday for the Jewish State of Israel. They also discussed Iran. Remember, Iran is Israel's number one enemy, and they are mentioned, as I told you just a moment ago, in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5, when it refers to Persia. Syria is in the prophetic scriptures. They would be found in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40. You study before in chapter 11 to determine that is correct. And Syria will be the one who makes the first move to go against the Jewish state of Israel. 
boy, that stage is set, ready to be fulfilled at any moment. Colonel Bob McGinnis talked to us about the announcement coming from the White House that President Trump and the North Korean President Kim Jong-un will meet together sometime in the very near future to see if they can come together and make a decision to keep North Korea from developing nuclear weapons of mass destruction on the Korean Peninsula and all that needs to take place in those discussions. I want to remind you, North Korea is a part of that phrase describing the kings of the east there in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, when they will cross the Euphrates River, making their way up to Jerusalem, coming to the time of the return of Jesus Christ. John Rood is the man who reports on the European Union for us. He does an excellent job, brand new broadcast partner here on Prophecy Today weekend. We talked about the U.S.-European military drills that are going on in alliance with NATO. But at the same time, we talked about the European Union member states wanting to set aside NATO and have their own military operation. When you study Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and that same chapter in Daniel, verses 23 and 24, you see there will be a revived Roman Empire that comes to power in the last days. And this military operation in the European Union does fit into that scenario. And then Don DeYoung, we talked about the stars and the planets and the fact that there is a signal from the first stars. Well, all of the stars were created at the same time. That's on the fourth day of creation, Genesis chapter 1. In fact, Don helped us to understand that's when planets like Jupiter come into existence. In the Jupiter probe, we've come to understand many, many things we did not have an understanding of about this, the largest planet in our galaxy. You know you could fill Jupiter with 13 planets the size of our Earth. Don brought this to our attention. You must remember, of course, Jesus, Revelation chapter 1, is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the creator, and the focus of the end times as well. David James and I had a great conversation. We talked about that God seems to have left Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. Well, those are only three of the examples we discussed, but the reality is God has not left them. These schools of higher learning that were established for the purpose of training up men to preach, they have left God. Well, we discussed how this is a trend that happens even today in some of the schools that were brought into existence for the purpose of training up people to be involved in ministry. Well, everything that we've talked about so far on the broadcast has given us information about current events that we can almost be assured are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Let me remind you, the next event on God's calendar of prophetic events is the rapture. That rapture could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.